Matthew 14, 25. Matthew 14, 25. You can turn there or not. It's no problem. Uh, I'm going to read it to you either way. This is what it says. Now, in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and began to sink. Beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the winds ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Lord Jesus, I pray that you speak to us today by the power of your word and spirit. In your name we pray, amen. amen. Today we're talking about walking by faith. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 says that we walk by faith and not by sight. I want to talk to you today about what it means to walk by faith because what it means very simply to walk is to take a series of steps. That's all walking is is a series of steps. So when Paul says that we walk by faith, what he means is that the Christian life is characterized as a series of steps that we take by faith. That's all it is, is a series of steps that we take by faith and not by sight. And faith is dependence upon a reality that is higher than the tangible world. We take a series of steps by faith or confidence in a reality that is higher than the reality of the tangible world. That is the simple definition of the Christian life. Now let's talk about it in the context of this passage, and what does this mean for us today? What's happening here in this chapter, actually, is Jesus had just taken his disciples away for a vacation because they were tired, and Jesus was tired. And so he says to his disciples, let's go on over to the other side of the lake so we can rest. So they're on their little sabbatical there. And the multitude, this, this huge crowd of people that followed Jesus everywhere, they saw his boat heading to the other side of the lake, so they ran around the lake and met him on the other side. Jacked up his whole vacation. <laughs> Jesus wasn't mad, the disciples were. The one thing that you see about Jesus is that he's never irritated by anyone who comes to him for any reason. And so if you ever think, well, this is too small for me to bring it to God, no. Jesus was never irritated by anyone who came to him for any reason, even little children. Now, his disciples were irritated all the time. 
because they thought they had a monopoly on Jesus. They thought they were the only ones who had the right to the presence of Jesus because we conform to this list of standards. We meet all of the qualifications that these people don't meet, so we should have access to Jesus, but nobody else should. And Jesus was constantly rebuking his disciples and saying, get out of the way of the people who are trying to come to me. Stop trying to make them meet a list of standards and qualifications before they come to me. Will you just let people come to me just as they are? It's as if Jesus was trying to remind his disciples, by the way, you didn't meet any requirements when I came to you. I came to you in the condition you were in. I came to you in your unbelief and in your sin. I came to you in your fear. I came to you in your rebellion, and I loved you anyway. Now let me do the same for these people. Get out of the way. It remains true today that one of the greatest things that hinders people from coming to Jesus is other people who are standing in their way. That one of the greatest hindrances to coming to faith in Christ is the church and Christians. What I want to do today is, by the grace of God, if possible, to somehow move the church out of your way so you can just come straight to Jesus. And I want to talk about what that actually means. Jesus gets out of the boat and he sees this multitude of people that followed him. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he begins to heal their sick. He just starts walking through the crowd looking for sick people. And when he finds a sick person, he heals them. No judgment. It didn't say he looked for sinners and rebuked them. He looked for sick people and healed them. He didn't look for rebels and conform them. He simply looked for sick people and he healed them. The first thing he did was demonstrate his compassion. And then after he had healed everybody, he went and sat down and the crowd sat down. They knew that when Jesus sits down, he's getting ready to teach. And then he began to teach. And he went on teaching. And he went on teaching. And hours and hours and hours went by. There is no teacher like Jesus. One of the greatest, maybe if you took the greatest teacher in the world right now, the greatest teacher, preacher in the world right now, whatever, and you sat and listened to that person teach or preach, you might be able to last an hour and a half if they're really, really good two hours. But then... Even the most attentive, astute among us would just have to get up out of there. Yeah. But you could sit and listen to Jesus all day, yeah. even all the way down to the children, yeah. and not move a muscle. Wow. Jesus taught, and the next thing they knew, it was late at night. And, and everybody just started to lay down and sleep in their spot. They didn't want to give up their seat. Wow. Wow. And Jesus woke up in the morning, and the multitudes woke up, and then he just kept teaching. Without food, the people didn't say, we need breakfast. <laughs> Jesus was so good that when you're listening to him teach, you don't think about food. And he taught right through lunch. And he taught right through dinner. And then the people laid down and went to sleep again. 
And then they woke up, and he woke up, and he kept teaching. Finally, one of the irritated religious disciples <laughs> comes to him and says, these people need to get up out. You ever had somebody in your house that you didn't want there? But they were a family member, so you couldn't say that? And so you just tried to hide the fact that you were irritated. You just smiled, but inside you think, get out of my house. I need you to go. That's how the disciples felt. But, but there's 5,000 people, plus women and children. So it's 5,000 men. It's about 15,000 people out there. And finally, the disciples are thinking, this has been going on for three days, and these people have not eaten. People are going to start passing out from hunger. People are going to start dying. Jesus, send these people away, and they claim to be concerned about the people. They haven't eaten. Translation, get them out of our vacation. And Jesus says, they don't need to leave. You give them something to eat. And now the disciples are mad at Jesus. They're mad at the people and they're mad at Jesus. You ever been in that place where you know, you know that you are the only one who's right? The people in your life are wrong. God is wrong. Isn't that the attitude when you hear people say, I'm mad at God. Translation, I'm the only one who's right. God is wrong, and all the people in my life are wrong. I am right. I am righteous, and God is wrong, and I'm mad at him. That's how the disciples felt. Jesus says, no, no, no. You give them something to eat. What was Jesus saying? The fact that I've given you the opportunity to be close to me is not a privilege for you to hold on to. It's a responsibility for you to share with me. You get my heart for them. You carry my burden for them. My heart is not to send them away hungry, ever. Amen. You give them something to eat. And they said, Lord, if we stopped right now and went and worked for eight months, we wouldn't earn enough money to give everybody here a bite of food. Right. And then another disciple said, all we've got is this little boy's lunch, five loaves and two fish. Now, I read a scholar that said, well, they had extra large loaves of bread in those days. It wasn't actually a miracle. <laughs> Five loaves, each big enough to feed a thousand people. <laughs> and this was a little boy's lunch. <laughs> Where are you going, Johnny? To lunch, Mom! <laughs> With five ginormous loaves of bread and two whales. <laughs> Jesus says, bring it to me. He takes the loaves and the fish, and he says, tell the people to sit down. They tell the people to sit down. He takes the loaves. First thing he does is he blesses it, Amen. which is a sermon in and of itself, because he blesses that which seems not to be enough. Wow. When was the last time you looked at your not enough and blessed it? And then he broke it. He took that which was not enough and divided it yet still. And then he multiplied it. And then he gave it. And isn't that what God does? He takes you in your current 
condition, in your current situation. You come to him all broken up. You come to him knowing that you're not enough, but he takes you and blesses you anyway. Knowing that your life is in shambles, knowing all of your faults, knowing everything you've ever done wrong in your life, but he does not take you and judge you. He does not take you and belittle you. He takes you and blesses you, even though knowing that you are not enough. But once the master puts his blessing on you, that which was not enough suddenly becomes enough. Because the thing is never enough. The blessing is enough. And once he blesses you, then he breaks you. Which is hard because when you first came to faith in Christ, you thought it was going to be smooth sailing from here on out. You thought all of the breaking would happen outside of Christ. Not realizing that there's some breakings that have to happen inside of Christ. You see, he brings you through things so that he can bring things through you. He brings you out of things so that he can bring things out of you. And he allows you to struggle because he knows that the gold and the silver and the diamonds that are deposited on the inside of you will only come out through struggle. And now the disciples feed the multitude and the disciples the whole time are scared that I'm going to serve others, but there's not going to be enough for me. That all Jesus wants is for me to serve and starve. He wants to feed the multitudes. He doesn't want to feed me. He wants me to serve others, but he doesn't, he, nobody's going to serve me. Nobody's going to take care of me. And when the disciples are done feeding the multitudes, Jesus says, go, why don't you go gather up the remainder? And they, he says, take baskets. And how many baskets full did they gather? Twelve baskets. How many disciples were there? Hmm, I wonder. How does that math work out? The disciples each got a basket of fish and chips. That's it. He took them down to Fisherman's Wharf, and they got that bread bowl with that clam chowder. You know what I'm talking about? Ugh! <laughs> Won't he do it? Yes. <laughs> won't he will? Yes. <laughs> oh, y'all don't know nothing about won't he will. <laughs> I took it way back. Now, Jesus puts his disciples in the boat, which is an exciting moment for them. He goes, okay, come on, y'all, come on, y'all, come on, go. He gathers the 12. What are we doing, Lord? We're getting in the boat. Come on, get in the boat, get in the boat. And they get in the boat, and they're thinking, yes, now it's just us and Jesus. We're going to leave these pesky people and we're going to take Jesus all to ourselves. And what does he do? He pushes them out in the water without him. And he's standing there. What are you doing, Lord? He's like, y'all go on ahead of me. I'm going to stay here with these people. Which now they feel rejected. You ever felt rejected by God? When somebody else felt his presence, but you didn't? You wish you could feel the presence of God, but the person next to you is crying? Like, well, I want to cry. <laughs> Person next to you, their hand is shaking. She's like, I wish my hand would shake. <laughs> next, and, and you know, Maxina's up here talking about how she got healed, you, and your toe is still aching. <laughs> I wish my toe would get healed. 
You just feel like a disciple that Jesus puts in a boat and pushes off while he hangs out with other people. But what does he do? Now he dismisses the multitude. He sends them away too, because now the multitudes are all excited. He got rid of those pesky religious disciples. Do you realize that to the, to the disciples, the Pharisees and teachers of the law were in the temple, but to the people, the disciples were the Pharisees? He finally got rid of those religious, pesky disciples who are better than everybody. He sent them away, finally. Now we have Jesus all to ourselves. Can I just say to you that nobody has Jesus all to themselves? That he's the savior of the whole world? That he doesn't care about anybody less than he cares about anybody else? And he doesn't care about anybody more than he cares about anybody else? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son? And so now he comes to the multitude and they're thinking, he's going to teach for three more days. He's going to multiply some more bread and fish. We're going to start this all over again. And he says, okay, y'all got to go now too. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? We thought you were here for us. He goes, no, no, you got it twisted. I'm here for the Father. And I serve you when it's his will and according to his will. But actually, my core value is not being a servant of the people. My core value is being a servant of the Father. And I'm trying to teach you to have the same core value that I have. And the best way to demonstrate that to you is by telling y'all to go home so that I can talk to the Father. And he sends the disciples, he sends the multitude away, and he goes up to a mountain by himself. It says, when evening came, he was alone on the mountain. What did he do? He prayed. Meanwhile, the disciples are out on the Sea of Galilee, which is actually a little tiny sea. It's like a big lake. It's actually, I've actually sailed across the Sea of Galilee on a boat, and it took maybe an hour, hour and a half, something like that. It's not that far. But the wind was against them. And the wind was blowing so hard that the disciples were rowing with all their might all night long and making zero progress. How do I know? Jesus is up on the mountain at evening. Now, evening is the first watch of the night between 6 and 9 p.m. So the Israelites, they broke the night into what's called four watches. The first watch of the night is from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. Second watch of the night between 9 p.m. and midnight. Third watch of the night between midnight and 3 a.m. Fourth watch of the night between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. Okay, got that? Evening is the first watch of the night, 6 p.m. to 9 p.m., which means that he sent the disciples probably around 6 p.m., sends the multitudes away, and gets to the mountain to pray, and it's still the first watch of the night. So he gets to the mountain before 9 p.m. Then it says, in the fourth watch of the night, they're still out there. In the middle. Have you ever had a process that should have lasted a week, last a month? Should have lasted a year, but it lasted six years? <laughs> I had a, a friend, he said, I could have graduated with my BA in four years like the rest of my friends. But instead, 
I discovered that I could drop a class. You can't drop classes in high school. And he started dropping classes. It took him eight years to finish his BA. The fourth watch of the night. <laughs> They're still in the middle of the lake at the fourth watch of the night. And Jesus has already prayed through the first watch of the night, the second watch of the night, the third watch of the night, and now between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., he decides, I better go help them out. Why does Jesus let them toil with all of their might for like nine hours? What does it mean? They're straining against the oars. It symbolizes life in your own strength. Life in your own power. He lets them wear themselves out living by their own strength and by their own power before he comes to them. If you're a lifeguard, you know what that's like. You know what they teach lifeguards? If somebody is flailing and drowning, you don't jump in to save them immediately. If they're kicking and ah, 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 you just sit there and you wait. You know why? Because if a lifeguard jumps in and tries to grab you when you're flailing, you're probably going to punch and kick him or her, and you could actually take them down and drown both of you. So they teach you in lifeguard school, wait until they've worn themselves out with all of their kicking and flailing. And when they've got no strength left, that's when you can come and save them. This is what Jesus did. They're out there in the lake just flailing, just flailing, just doing, thinking they can do it in their own strength. Thinking they can do it in their own power, thinking they can live by their own set of rules, thinking they can march to the beat of their own drum. And as long as you think that way, God says, okay, I'll wait. That's why the person next to you is shaking, and, and, but you ain't. That's why they're crying. I wish I could cry, but you can't. You know why? Because you're still in the second watch of the night or the third watch of the night. You haven't yet come to the fourth watch of the night where you recognize that you need him and you can't do it in your own strength. I believe in the fourth watch of the night, they gave up. Forget, they just threw the oars down. Said, forget these oars. We're not getting anywhere. We don't even know how Jesus is getting to the other side anyway. Let's just let the wind blow us all the way back to where we started from. <laughs> and we'll, we'll carry the boat and walk around the lake. <laughs> and then Jesus comes walking on the sea. He's walking by faith and not by sight. He's taking a series of steps that are dependent upon a power that is higher than this physical world. The sea represents the totality of the tangible. The totality of the tangible world, and Jesus is walking above it. He's defying every law. He's defying Newton's law. He's defying, he's defying the law of gravity. He's defying... Every natural law, he's saying, I'm above it. He's walking on the water. The winds can't hold him back. The natural processes that have restrained his disciples cannot restrain their Lord. 
He comes walking to them on the water, and when they first see him walking on the water, his own disciples who believe in him, who have devoted their lives to him, think they're seeing a ghost. That is, they're seeing the Lord, but they think they're seeing a spooky thing. Do you know that the reality of the, of the things that we speak about, the realities of Scripture, seem spooky to you at first? What is this speaking in tongues stuff? It's spooky. What is this laying on of hands? They put hands on. Why, why is everybody touching me? Be touching me. I left the black church for a reason. Preacher constantly say, touch your neighbor. Touch your neighbor? How does he have the right to tell people to touch me? Don't touch me. I don't know you. I don't know where your hands have been. People don't wash their hands anymore these days. It's true. I've seen it with my own eyes. Come out of the stall, walk over and look in the mirror and leave. So the devil, the Lord rebukes you. <laughs> they saw the Lord, but they thought they saw something spooky. Can I say something to you? The parts of the faith that may seem spooky to you at first, if you just hold on a second, you're going to discover that it's not spooky and that it's not weird. It simply represents a reality that is higher than the natural world. It is spiritual and not natural. So, well, I don't want anything weird. You talk to an invisible man. Wow. <laughs> Hello. Hello. <laughs> and he talks back to you. If that's not the definition of weird. In actuality, it's not weird. It's just different. It's different because the rest of the world walks by sight. If I don't see it, if I don't feel it, if I don't hear it, if you don't show me physical, tangible evidence, I'm not going that direction. That's the sight world. And somebody says, well, then it requires blind faith. No, it doesn't require blind faith. I don't believe in blind faith. There's evidence, but the evidence is simply not natural. It's spiritual. They saw something. It looked to them to be a ghost. There was evidence. There was an encounter. It was not blind faith. They saw something. If you're here today, you saw something. You saw a young lady stand here and say, my toe was broke, but now it's well. It was not natural. It was spiritual, but it affected her natural life. It was not a natural process. It was a supernatural process. Believing that there's something real there is not blind faith. It's simply a response to the evidence. And they scream because they think they see a ghost. And Jesus says, stop freaking out. Trip not. <laughs> That's the NGT, the New Ghetto Translation. Trip not, for it is I. Now listen to what Peter says. Lord, if it's you, 
Meaning that Peter did not have 100% certainty. If you're looking for 100% certainty, you're not going to find it. God does not offer you 100% certainty. He offers you faith. If it's you, command me to come to you on the water. Translation, if it's you and you're walking on the water and I'm your disciple, I want to follow you. Because that's what a disciple does. That's the definition of a disciple is one who follows. So if you're walking on water and it's you, command me, I want to walk on water too. Translation, Peter knew that if that's really Jesus that I'm seeing, it demands a response. If this is really Jesus that I'm seeing, I'm going to have to take a step of faith. I can't sit in my seat and just say, I believe. Because faith without works is dead. The kind of faith that says, I believe, but I'm going to stay nice and safe in this boat here, is not faith. Nothing changes in your life if you stay on the boat. If it's you, command me to come to you on the water. That is, command me to take a series of steps that are not dependent upon this natural world, but are dependent upon my confidence in one who is above the natural world. If it's you, command me to take a series of steps. That's what the Christian life is, is a series of steps in response to Jesus that are not based on 100% certainty, but based on faith. I think that's Jesus. I believe I'm experiencing Jesus. I believe I'm seeing Jesus. Lord, if it's you, call me. Call me to take the next step. God is calling you to take the next step. God is calling you to take the next step. The moment you stop taking the next step, you stop walking by faith, and now you think you're standing by faith. You're standing still. You're not going anywhere. And the moment you stop, the wind starts to blow you backward. And the Lord says to Peter, come on, come on. How do you spell that? How do you spell come on? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, (laughs) come on. C-O-M-E-O apostrophe. Come on. (laughs) That's what Jesus says to Peter. And Peter, without hesitation, jumps out of the boat which is a risk. Faith is a step that requires a risk. And he takes a step towards Jesus, and the water holds him up. And he takes a step towards Jesus, and the water holds him up. And he turns, and he looks at the waves. And it says, when he saw the wind... Now that takes faith. (laughs) It took more faith for him to see the wind than to see Jesus. Jesus is right there, physically visible in front of him, 
but he sees the wind. Isn't it funny that Jesus, is, it can, Jesus can be standing right in front of you, but you don't see him. All you see is adversity coming against you. All you see are the problems coming against you. And it takes faith to see problems that aren't even there yet. Some of you here today, you're seeing trouble that hasn't even come in your... You're seeing next year's trouble already. But you don't see Jesus standing right in front of your face. And you think it takes blind faith to see Jesus? All kind of evidence of Jesus everywhere, but you see problems that haven't even manifested yet. Some of you have already diagnosed yourself and you haven't even seen the doctor yet. And you already know you're going to die. And it says, when he saw the wind and the waves, he began to sink. Why did he begin to sink? First of all, he stopped taking steps. And he started to observe. He took his eyes off Jesus, stopped walking towards him, and started to look around. And he began to sink. Step one is a simple invitation. I think I'm experiencing the presence of Jesus. I think the Lord is prodding my heart. I don't walk, I've never walked with him before. I've never made this decision before, but Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you out of the boat. And when you hear that call and you feel that nudging on your heart, and you feel that he's saying, come. And the, the preacher says, bow your head and close your eyes. If you're here and you want to take your first step towards Jesus, lift your hand. And you feel your hand go up. I talked to people who said, I didn't intend to lift my hand, but I felt my hand go up. I don't know how that happened. You know what happened? It was a step of faith. Faith was being born in your heart, and you didn't know how faith was born in your heart. You know what you just did? You just stepped out of the boat. but you didn't take another step. And so your faith didn't grow. The next step is baptism, which is what the Lord commanded. But you hesitated on that step. No, let me stop here and observe my surroundings. I don't think it's the right time. I don't think it's the right place. I don't think it's the right, I don't think I'm ready. I don't think I understand it enough. I, and you, you, forget, you forget that it's about a series of steps that you take not based on the natural. Not based on your understanding. You're supposed to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct what? Your path, which is a series of steps that you take in response to him. It is essential that you keep taking steps. The Christian life is not a pilot. It's a multi-season series. You can't just watch the pilot and lift your hand. You got to watch the next episode and then you got to go. I remember, I, remember watching an, an, I remember watching an interview with Aaron Sorkin and realizing, I'm, I'm watching the interview, I'm thinking, this dude is dope. He's the dopest TV writer ever. And then I realized that he wrote The West Wing. I said, I'm watching it. I went back to the pilot. And, and this is, I mean, dude, that, when, did, when did West Wing air? It started in the 90s, right? I went back to season one 
episode one. And I watched every episode in that season. And then I went to season two, episode one, and I watched every episode in that season. And then I went to season three, and then season four, and then season five. And when I got to season six, I realized something had changed. And I found out later, Aaron Sorkin left after season five, and now a new author was writing the series. You see, some of you have progressed in your, in your faith, but you came to a point where a new author took over the series of your, of your life. What you don't realize is that Jesus is called the author and finisher of your faith, but yeah. Satan is the author of confusion. Yeah. And somewhere in season five, you move Jesus out of the way and let a new author come in and start writing confusion into your life. You need to fire that writer and bring back Jesus and let him keep writing the next episode and the next episode. Mm, that was good. That'll preach right there. I realized that I had missed something years ago and I didn't want to miss it. It's too good to miss. So I went back and I took those steps. I've been saved for five years already and I never got baptized. Do I need, yes, you need to go back and take that step. What's the next step? Join a community. Commit yourself to the local church. Why? Discipleship is the next step. And discipleship is about committing yourself to a process of growing in Christ, which is a series of steps. What's the next step? Are you hesitating to take the next step? The reason why people start to sink when they start to walk with Christ is because they hesitate to take the next step. Step. We got to walk by faith. You can't stand on the premises. You've got to walk. You've got to keep moving. You've got to keep taking steps because Jesus is not standing still. He's still walking. But here's the beautiful part. The Bible says salvation belongs to the Lord. Peter begins to sink and he cries out, Lord, Save me. Translation. I messed this thing up. I didn't do it right. But can you help me anyway? And it says immediately, Jesus stretched out his arm and caught him and lifted him up. And I see Jesus laughingly saying, Oh, you of little faith. Translation, you big dummy. <laughs> Not in a bad way, more of like a Lamont, you know, Sanford and Son way. You know what I'm talking about? It's kind of a loving, some people don't get that, you know. In my family, the minute we just make fun of each other, all that's how we show love to one another, you know. Why did you doubt? When Jesus said, why did you doubt? He meant two things. Number one, why'd you take your eyes off me? And number two, why did you not take the next step? And now, this is what's beautiful. 
Peter is no longer walking towards Jesus. Peter is walking with Jesus. They get in the boat, and guess what happens when Jesus gets in the boat? The wind dies. The resistance is gone. And now they're able to make it smoothly and quickly and easily to their destination. The Lord is speaking to you today. I'll end with this as somebody comes to the keyboard. Soren Kierkegaard, the Danish philosopher from the 1800s, gave us this concept of the leap of faith. You know where he got it from? He was a little boy, probably about 12 years old. He and his dad went on a walk in the Danish countryside. It was dark, no street lights, of course. In the middle of the walk, they came to this huge gorge down in the earth. It's probably about 15 feet deep. His father said, wait here, Soren. And his father climbed down into the gorge. And his father disappeared into the darkness. And all of a sudden, from way below, he heard his father's voice. Soren, jump. I'll catch you. Soren jump. I'll catch you. And Soren hesitated. Soren, why won't you jump? He said, because dad, I can't see you. And his dad said, Soren, I can see you. And Soren grew up and he said this about faith. Faith is leaping into the arms of a father that you can't see, knowing that he can see you. You're here today. You say, but I can't see him. I assure you, he sees you. And it's okay that you don't see him because you don't have to catch him. He's not jumping to you. And secondly, you don't have to catch yourself. You see, if you needed to catch him, then you better be able to see him. And if you were going to catch yourself down there, you better be able to see what's down there. But knowing that he's the one who catches you, all you have to know is he sees you. He knows where you are. He knows what you've been through. He knows what you need. He knows what you've endured. He knows where you've messed up and he knows where the people around you have messed up towards you. He knows what's missing in your life and he knows what's there that you don't even know is there. He knows every hair on your head. He sees you. And he's simply saying, jump. Take the next step. I'll catch you. I won't let you fall. Bow your head with me this morning. Precious Heavenly Father, I thank you today that you're in this place and that your love for us is great. 
Holy Spirit, I pray that you would touch each heart and each soul and that you would give us the confidence and the faith to take the next step. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, no one's looking around, I simply want to ask a simple question. If you're here today and you haven't taken the step of getting out of the boat and inviting Jesus to come into your life, would you be willing to take that step today? Nobody's looking around. If that's you, you say, I'm ready. I'm ready to take that step. I want you to lift your hand right where you are. I see that hand right there. Thank you, Lord. Yep. That's powerful. Something as simple as a lifting of a hand. Do you know what that is? That's a powerful step. The people around you don't see it, but God just saw that. You just took a step toward Jesus. And I guarantee you, he's taking steps towards you right now. How powerful. Every angel in heaven rejoices over that. Every angel in heaven rejoices. You may think, I'm, I'm insignificant, nobody sees me. No, God sees you. You may think, nobody wants me. Who would want me? I want you to know God wants you. It doesn't matter how broken you are. It doesn't matter what you've been through. You are not worthless in the eyes of God. In the eyes of God, you are worth more than you could ever imagine. The Bible says that every angel in heaven rejoices over one person who makes the decision that, sir, you just made. How powerful is that? And we rejoice today. Secondly, there's others of you here this morning. You've taken that step, but now it's time for you to take the next step. You've taken the first step, but you haven't taken the second step. You've opened your heart to Jesus, but you have not opened your heart to baptism. You haven't opened your heart to take that next step. And you say, I'm ready to take that next step now. I'm ready to take that next step. And there are others of you here that you've opened your heart to baptism, but not opened your heart to community. You say, I'm ready to take that next step. I'm ready to take that next step. You haven't even committed yourself to a church. You say, I'm ready to take that next step. Whatever it is, you know the step that God is calling you to take today. If you're here today and you say, I'm going to take a step, I'm going to take a step today, I'm going to take a step this week, I'm going to take a step, I'm going to go back and take some steps that I missed, but I'm going to keep walking toward Jesus. If that's you today, I want you to lift your hand right where you are. I'm going to keep walking toward Jesus. Yes, I see that hand, 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 I see that hand. Amen. 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 Precious Heavenly Father, I speak your blessing over each and every one of these that have lifted their hands today. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would ratify the decisions made upon every heart and every soul and give us the confidence to follow through. I want us all to repeat this prayer with me together. Just repeat this after me, very simple. Say, Father, I come to you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. I believe that he died for my sin. I believe that he rose from the dead. I believe that he sits at your right hand. I ask that you forgive my sin, that you wash me 
that you make me clean. Give me the confidence to take my next right step. My next right step. That I would not sink, but I would walk with you. I give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Come on, give God a clap of praise.